0: That's better, isn't it? So, imagine, back this summer, you're on your holidays, and uh, of course, uh, you thought, where shall I go? Well, I'll go up to St Mark's Park. And you were hanging out there, probably if you were in this area of the park with a small child, you know, a bit with a water park. And so you're standing there, and you're having fun, and the sun's blazing down, and then you hear a helicopter coming in overhead and uh, you don't bother looking up because that happens quite often in North Kensington. Um, And then you realise that it's stopped overhead. And so you and everyone else looks up and it's a Coast Guard helicopter. And so you're a little bit surprised. What's that doing in the middle of London? And then even more surprised, a rope drops down out of the helicopter right beside you and a man comes down on that rope dressed in full Coast Guard outfit gear. And he says to you, I'm here to rescue you. You need to be saved. And you look at him, and you look down at yourself, ankle deep in water, and you say, actually, mate, I'm all right. And he's like, no, no, no! You need to be saved. And you're feeling rather embarrassed because everyone's looking at you, and he's really insistent. So hold that thought. But now imagine, instead of going to St Mark's Park, you went to Cornwall. And there you were, walking along a nice sort of cliff-top walk, not too high a cliff, and then all of a sudden the cliff crumbles away. And you fall down into the sea, and you are swept out to sea. And for a while you manage to swim, you manage to tread water, you manage to keep your head above the waves, but after a while your strength begins to ebb away, and at that point you hear a helicopter. And the helicopter comes out and stops above you, and you look up and you see a rope drop down and a man comes down on that rope and reaches out to you and says, you need to be saved. Well, in that situation, your reaction is going to be very different, isn't it? You're not going to say, go away, you're inconveniencing me, I don't need you. You're going to say, thank you. You are exactly what I need. I'm going to come with you. Christianity says a lot about being saved about what salvation means. We speak of Jesus as the saviour of the world. But to be told you need to be saved when you think you're fine, well, is at best an inconvenience, a distraction from the life we're trying to live. At worst, potentially quite offensive, if we think we're doing fine. But to be told we need to be saved when we realise that we are in deep trouble, to be told that we can be saved when we know we're in deep trouble, well, that's the best news in the world. But what does it mean in Christianity? What do we mean when we say it's about being saved? Well, this passage that we've just had read, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, is one of the clearest passages in all of Scripture about what salvation is, about what it means to be saved, about what we need to be saved from, about what we can be saved to, and about how we are saved. Now, I feel I should uh, give you a trigger warning um, at this point. If you're here and you would say, I'm not a Christian, then this this has the potential to be one of the most offensive passages you've ever heard. You might not have thought it as it was read, but it does. And if you're here and you're a Christian this morning... This has the potential to be one of the most offensive passages that you've ever heard in the Bible. But looked at another way, whether you would say this morning, I'm a Christian, or whether you would say, I'm not a Christian, this has the potential to be one of the most wonderfully encouraging passages in the Bible for us. Because it tells us that salvation, the free gift of God... The offer of being saved is not on the resu- as a result of the lives that we have lived, whether good or bad. Rather, that the only way that we can be saved is by grace. Read with me again, verse 8. If you're there, 1174, if you want to track along, um, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Salvation is by grace from start to finish. Even our faith is a gift from God. Salvation is by grace from start to finish. And verse 9, Not by works, so that no one can boast. And that is why it is potentially offensive to us if we call ourselves Christians, but think that we can take some credit for being Christians. Think that we can take some credit for what we have in Christ. For even our works, even our good works, even our faith is a gift from God. None of us can claim any credit. We are like that person drowning at sea and the Coast Guard comes to rescue them. Well, it might help you to think of this passage and this sermon as having three sections. I mentioned them already. The life that we are saved from, that's verses 1 to 3. The life that we are saved for, verses 8 to 10. And then in the middle, how we are saved from the life we were in, to the life that we can have in Christ. So firstly, then, the life that we are saved from. And if you've been here the last couple of weeks, or if you were just reading through Ephesians for yourself, then chapter 2, verse 1, comes as a little bit of a surprise. Chapter 1 is some of the most exalted language in all the Bible, this poetry. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And through and through and through, and he has raised Christ up and seated in the heavenly places... Verse 2, chapter 2, rather. As for you, you were dead. Christ, raised up, seated in the heavenly places, God's power. As for you, you were dead. Dead, Paul says, in our transgressions and sins, verse 2, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. Ouch. Ouch. Well, as we've said, in Ephesians, Paul is pulling back the curtain of what we see with the eyes of our flesh and helping us to see with the eyes of our heart. And he says that with the eyes of flesh, well, we may well see the world one way, but with the eyes of our heart, with spiritual sight that God is able to give us, well, actually, life is quite different. And so we're going to see and hear some unfamiliar things, perhaps, and some hard things. Uh, If you've seen the the 1995 film, The Usual Suspects, uh, you may remember the line, uh, memorably delivered by um, Kevin Spacey, as, The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Because if you don't think the devil exists, then we're liable to his schemes. And Paul says that, well, as a dead fish floats with the stream, so we were dead to God. We followed the ways of this world outside of Christ. The natural human state outside of Christ is dead to God, unresponsive. No spiritual taste or interest. No spiritual eyes for the beauties of Christ. Simply dead to all that ultimately matters. And Paul says, living that way is not neutral. To float with the stream of the world is actually to be led by Satan. Read with me verse 2. Paul writes, You followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And that is Satan. Satan. Now, Paul is not saying everyone who is not a Christian is a Satan worshipper. Okay, so we need to be clear on that. But remember this. We've talked about this before. Satan doesn't care whether you are rich or poor. He doesn't care whether you are sick or healthy. He doesn't care whether you are successful or unsuccessful. He doesn't care whether you are loved or hated by other people in this world. And he also doesn't care, and this may be more shocking to us, he doesn't care whether we ultimately whether we are a moral person or an immoral person. He doesn't care Whether ultimately whether you're a social worker or a sadist, a cleaner or a crook. Now, to be clear, he'd prefer you to be immoral. He'd prefer you to be a sadist or a crook or a murderer because he loves pain and suffering. And so for him that is a bonus. But ultimately, the only thing Satan really cares about in this life is whether you are following Christ or not. That is the only thing he really cares about. Because remember in chapter 1, all of the spiritual blessings that we read about, they're not ours by default, they are ours in Christ. If we are in Christ, we have every spiritual blessing that there is. And if we're outside Christ, well, we have nothing. Outside Christ, we float... With the stream, And outside of Christ, the inescapable default is verse 3. Paul writes, All of us also lived among them, that is, those who are disobedient to Christ. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Now as I read that, following our desires, following the cravings and gratifyings of the flesh, I imagine that you might be thinking, uh, depending on where you are this morning, you might be thinking, well, I'm not like that. I don't follow Christ and I'm not like that. And you might think, if you're a Christian here today, you might think, well, I wasn't like that before I became a Christian. And all of us probably can think, well, actually, I know many lovely people who aren't Christians And that verse wouldn't appear to describe them either. So, is this just wrong? Well, We haven't got enough time to go into as much depth as as I'd like. Um, I discovered while looking at some things online that uh, back in 1977, Dick Lucas, rector of the other St. Helens in London, preached seven sermons on just these ten verses. And I've got 20 minutes, so we must move quickly. But again, we mustn't make the mistake of thinking that this is saying everyone is as evil as they could be, That's not what the Bible is saying. Sin is not doing bad things. It is putting ourselves in God's seat and pushing him off. God made this world. He made us. He gave us our life. Everything good we have came from him. His good word and his good ways are for our good because he loves us, as this passage tells us, because of his great love for us. And because God made us and loves us and knows us, well then, surprise, surprise, his ways for us are the best ways to live. To follow his way, the best and the most satisfying and the most wonderful way to live is to live for God. To live his way, to stop trying to run our lives our way and to say, no God, you sit on the throne and I will live your way. But following the flesh and following the desires and devices of our hearts, we all push them out of the way and do things our way instead. And that might be lying or drinking or cheating or stealing or pros- promiscuity, but it might be putting our job at the centre of our lives instead of God. Or it might be putting our family at the centre of our lives instead of God or our hobbies at the centre of our lives instead of God. And to do that, to choose to put anything at the centre of our lives, to live for something else instead of God, well, that is to follow our own desires and thoughts, as it says in verse 3, to do what seems good to us and to reject what God has said is good for us. To choose to put anything at the centre of our lives and push God out is to say to God, get off the throne. I'm in charge, this is my life. Sin is, we've used this one before, sin is saying, shove off God, S-I-N, shove off God, I'm in charge, no to your ways. Shove off God, I'm in charge, no to your ways. And to be clear, this isn't some new interpretation of Christianity. This is ancient Christian beliefs, as the Anglican um, Baptism Service has it. When we turn to Christ, we are turning from the world, well, we see that here, the flesh, we see that here, and the devil. Turning from the world, the flesh, and the devil to Christ. And so, as verse 3 concludes, by nature, that is, outside of Christ, we are... Deserving of wrath. Now, again, I wish I had more time on this, but Paul is saying look, in that default state, floating in the stream of the ways of the world, led by the prince of the power of the air, we are subject to the final judgment that Jesus will pronounce upon this earth, upon sin, when he returns. And that dividing line that Jesus draws will not be good or bad respectable or despised but it will be in Christ or out of Christ and those in Christ will receive blessing beyond imagination some of the things we saw in chapter 1 but those outside of Christ will receive God's settled fair eternal perfect righteous judgement against those who have rejected the ways of Christ and instead drifted with the world. And you see, that is why we need saving. Salvation is for the last day when Jesus returns. And so the illustration earlier of falling off the cliff and being swept out to sea is in fact not even far enough because at that stage, possibly you could still reach up and grab onto the coast guard uh, who's come to help you. Whereas Paul says, we were dead We couldn't do anything to save ourselves. We couldn't even turn in and of ourselves. And so, verse 4, is one of the most wonderful buts in the Bible. Verse 4, Paul writes, But, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. We were still dead and in that state God came in and Christ reached out and took hold of us and pulled us up with him and not only up to life, it is by grace we have been saved, but, verse 6, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly Realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show us the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And just in case we weren't clear that this is all of God and not of us, Paul says it again, verse 8 For it is by grace. You have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And so that is why this passage might also be offensive to us if we've been a Christian for some time. Because there's a risk if we've been a part of church things for some time that we can think, yes, I was saved, from, saved by grace by God once a while back, but now, well, since then, I've actually been living quite a good life. I've earned quite a few credits on top of the grace that God gave to me. And Paul says, no. Even the good works that we do, they are put in our path. They are prepared for us by God. Verse 10, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. All there is for us to do is to accept that grace and walk in it. No credit for our salvation and no credit now for the lives that we live. But, having been saved by this grace, knowing now that we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places, well then will that not motivate us to want to live what we have been made into. We have been made into those who are in Christ. We are now spiritually, Paul writes, seated in heaven with Christ in the heavenly places. It is as if Jesus got down from his throne and stepped down and took our seat. We were seated in a place where we deserve judgment. We tried to push God off the throne... And actually for that we deserved the place of judgment. And so Christ stepped down from the throne. He's the one who was actually on the throne. He stepped down from that throne and instead he sat in the place of judgment at the cross. And the judgment that we deserved was taken by Christ instead. So that we might be saved so that we might actually sit on that throne with him. Jesus came down and took our seat so that we might join him on his seat. What a wonderful, gracious, loving saviour we have. In Christ, every spiritual blessing is on offer. And so as I close, I must say, if this is not where you are if you are sitting here this morning and you're saying actually that isn't me I've never never accepted that then obviously we'd love to talk to you about it more and you see how serious it is how wonderful what is on offer but also how much there is to lose outside of Christ and if we have accepted Christ well once again let us repent of our so often feeling pride in the good works that we do to recognise once again that it is all God's grace and to praise Jesus for what he has done in our lives.